Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice. My guest today is filmmaker Hannah Dweck, and she has co-directed Guest House, a new documentary by her first time directing, yes, Hannah Dweck? Yes. And and you co-directed with, I may need some help with this, Yael Lutweck? Lutweck. Mm-hmm. Lutweck. Oh, not, I was close. And, and, and by the way, Guest House will open at the Hot Springs Film Festival October 23rd, and the Austin Film Festival, October 26th. Guest House is an honest portrait of women experiencing reintegration from the prison system as they work to overcome feelings of shame, isolation, disappointment, and otherness. We've really got to talk about that. So they can be free to pursue their dreams and desires. Guest House follows these women over six weeks with intimate access to their routines around the clock. Guest House shows complexities and and daily ups and downs during a time when these women are figuring out who they can trust and if they can even trust themselves. So, welcome Hannah to The Reasonable Voices. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. So much about your documentary moved me and grabbed my attention and begged for priority so that I I found, in watching it multiple times, that different things popped out at me. So I'm going to be perhaps a little random in my questioning, but you, of course, know all the answers. So here we go. First of all, what is the Guest House, and where is it located? Yes, so the program itself is called Friends of Guest House, Uh and it's located in Arlington, Virginia, and it's a reentry program solely dedicated to women. And it's a six-month-long program, and there are various stages in the program where you're at sort of their main house in Arlington. And then once you get to a certain level of independence in the program, which usually happens at about six weeks, uh, six to eight, 
somewhere in there, they move you over to their more independent apartment style living where you're still surrounded by women in the program, but it's fewer staff. And usually their schedule isn't really surrounded by the classes anymore that are offered at the program. Rather, they have jobs um, and, you know, are sort of integrating more into a normal lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And after that six-month period, there is an option to live in one of their aftercare facilities, which is much more hands-off. Basically, you're independent, but there is sort of a weekly check-in from staff members so that if they feel like you know they have any questions they need answered or they're flailing or losing track you know they're certainly not alone Mm -hmm. Um, and that is for a couple of years if they choose is it voluntary or is it required how does it work it's completely voluntary so usually the women hear about it through word of mouth or from a po and they apply to the program Um, And depending on, you know, sort of what their story is and the timing of when they are to be released, that is how the House decides if they are a candidate for the program, Uh, because they do have a limited number of slots. Um, And usually for every one woman that they accept, 15 more have to be turned away just due to lack of space. Yes. And funding, I would imagine. Yeah, funding as well. It's a shame we... We have money for so many things, and yet uh, we skimp on what saves lives. But, okay, you know, your documentary film, as I said, touches me in many ways, and even as a landlord. But Guest House, among other things, reveals how many women are initially addicted to drugs. I should say how many women are initially addicted to drugs. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, so I guess there is sort of a variety of stories, which is also why we felt it was important to show the stories of three women versus one in the movie. Um, And really, you know, women are sort of affected in the same way that men are, where there's sort of this, you know, one scenario where you're prescribed pain medication for a surgery or something, and you become addicted to it because the substances can be highly addictive. And if you're not counseled properly, it's very easy, you know, to sort of slide into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think also there there are just people who, you know, depending on where you are living in the United States, you're more exposed to this. But what's very interesting to me and also, you know, to Yael and a lot of people now is that the opioid crisis is really transcending any sort of wealth or Mm. race, you know, that it's now become really pervasive across the nation. Um, And I think that's also, unfortunately, why now it's getting so much attention. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's great that it's getting attention, but that because it's affecting now so many people, where previous drug crises in this country, you know, have really sort of affected certain demographics of people. And unfortunately, you know, we're not going to pay as much attention. Now there is really just a lot of publicity around it. And I think that You know, I don't know exactly why one person gets addicted versus another, but I think that it's just so readily available that now, you know, it's really affecting 
um, you know, everyone. It's touched. It, it's pretty amazing as we've started to screen the film to see how many people have stories that are either personal or someone in their family. They have been touched by this um, in a very intimate way. Yes. I, you know, and I think also to continue your point, if I may, this is not limited to one segment of the population. And, and one of the ways uh, that, is ex that is expressed in, uh, besides visually, the different women who are involved, but one of the ways that is expressed in this, your film, Guest House, that hit me right between the eyes was the education range from the fifth grade education to an MBA. I mean, yeah. And you know what that made me think immediately, and I want to ask you, with that kind of range and the demographic, of course, what are your hopes or intentions or thoughts for this documentary being viewed in high schools? In other words, can we nip this in the bud? Um, I hope we can nip I don't think we can nip it in the bud. Uh, but I do think that showing this in high schools is really important because you, it's just another form of education. And I think that generally is, you know, the answer to whether it's trying to prevent drug addiction, you know, or some other issue, education seems to always kind of be the answer in terms of prevention. Mm. So I think that if this is viewed in high schools, that maybe it will, you know, prompt kids to start asking questions, whether it's in their classroom or between each other or at home or even just internally in their own heads about what they want for themselves and to also maybe catch themselves in certain behaviors that could potentially lead down a certain path. Yes. Um, I think that is really the key to, to starting to solve this crisis. Excellent. I couldn't agree more. I don't know, um, I, I have no idea what sex education is in high schools uh, or at any level these days, but I know when I was in high school, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it missed the point, I guess. So I hope, yeah. um, I hope that I... the things that children need to help them before life sort of uh, entices them down the wrong road. I think I hope that especially we in the film world can get a chance to get through to them and show them here it is look at the screen and now let's talk about it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's really true. I remembered actually as I was doing research for this project that when I was in school I was shown a video about marijuana and what it would do and it was like this kid in a gymnasium who somehow you know randomly had a joint that he was smoking and he inhales and his eyes sort of bug out of his head oh, and he actually runs straight through a window and i remember seeing that oh, and God. thinking that it was so crazy yes. i mean also what i was watching was in black and white and meanwhile i'm watching this in the early 2000s uh -huh. so it was you know obviously quite outdated but used as a tool and i think that you know, around the country, there's also such varying degrees of sexual education or drug education. Um, and I think it's really important when people are educating children to get it right, to yes. show what is really happening. Yes. Because, of course, you know, I watched that video and thought, well, this is fake and I didn't learn anything. Exactly. You know, and I think honesty around these kinds of topics, you know, is is what kids want. You know, always people yes. respond to honesty, no matter what age you are. And then that's actually how you learn. 
You know exactly, and you know the the real or, or one of the biggest problem, one one of the biggest hurdles to overcome is that still in 2019, bullying is treated with well, boys will be boys or whatever, or uh, you know girls in competition with one another. With that movie Mean Girls, whatever, which I never saw, so I'm not commenting on it. But um, oh, you should. It's a real treat. Yeah. <laughs> and you know bullying and and sex education and drug education needs to start with adults who are courageous enough to be honest uh, you know i think that's what you're saying i mean please it's time we stop being passing along these uh these fears that only you can't talk about it because if you talk about it it's real when it's it's real okay yeah all right okay it's not my show it's your show here we go you know something, another thing that really hit me was the ladies discussed they never felt pain because they've always used drugs to numb it. I had mm-hmm. never, ever, never did that cross my mind. Please talk to us about that. How did you feel when, when you found that out? Yeah, I would say that was one of the things actually that felt like I couldn't really like understand that Mm -hmm. I mean I I understand it in theory but that I couldn't personally sort of relate to that Mm. Uh, but the idea of you know being in your 20s or 30s and not knowing how to handle you know tough emotions or issues that come up in your life is a really scary thought yes and of course I felt like if that was my position and my tool to overcoming negative feelings was using drugs it seems like the obvious choice that that's what you would keep doing, uh, because at you know those those are generally skills that you learn at a younger age. And if you feel like you've sort of fallen off or you're getting to a certain point in your life where you don't really know how to cope, you know how how do you learn? Yes. You know I don't I think generally the answer is going to therapy or some sort of support group and starting to unpack these feelings little by little but you're starting you know so far sort of behind your general age group that it can be so daunting Mm. Um, and I think that is one of the hardest hurdles to get over yes and as you say you know it all goes back to again I feel that uh, if we don't at an early age show documentaries like guest house and deal with preparing our young people for what life may present to them, the choices that they will have to make. If we don't give them some sort of structure and foundation, information, just so they can make the better choice, then we are truly failing them, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that is really the key in almost any aspect of your life. You you know, I mentioned briefly that I was... um, well, I'm, I am a landlord, but uh, for a time there, a few years ago, uh, two of my houses were often rented by agencies that housed, I mean, I always referred to it as halfway house, but I don't know what they officially called it, but they were one housed women and the other housed men. It was two different agencies, so that was just coincidental, I believe. But I saw firsthand on occasion the challenges that these people were going through. And I think it's a good time to mention that uh, your documentary, the characters, the people in it, are not actors. They are real people going through this this system, yes? Absolutely, yes. 
Now, another thing, because I have a home in Virginia, and I'm not there often, but, but I am there sometimes, this was a shocker to me. In the Commonwealth of Virginia, in 2019, crimes are considered voluntary. I guess you can't argue that point. Um, uh, so prison, by, by the state's de edict, is also voluntary. And, and meaning not that you could choose not to go or not, but you're choosing prison. You're voluntarily choosing prison because you voluntarily chose to break the law, to, be, to, to be, commit a crime. And even when you get out of prison, your income, your wages can be garnished because if, for instance, as you mentioned in the documentary, you have children and they need child care, who takes care of that? Elaborate on that. I know I'm making a mess of it, but you, you tell me because that was, it just seemed to be a, an amazing reinforcement of a vicious circle. How's that? Yes, that was something really shocking that we found out pretty early on from the director of the house. When we first started to talk to them about creating this documentary, we were asking them about the laws in Virginia. Um, and that was a really shocking thing to hear because mm. it seems, you know, just ridiculous and absolutely contributes to people recidivating. Yes. Because how are you supposed to you know, make enough money, you know, forget even the fact that you have this almost like scarlet letter on your record that yes. makes it impossible to get employed. You are coming out of prison probably in debt. Mm. Um, and especially if you have children that you're then going to start taking care of again, you know, you need an income to feed them or and to house them. And if all of your money is going back towards the prison system without your consent, you know, there's no control that you have in terms of taking back your life and achieving financial stability. Well, it starts to beg the question, you know, why would the state of Virginia do this? Yeah. Um, and one of the, I'm, I'm not an expert on this topic at all, and I'm, you know, definitely not sure about how this is completely handled in Virginia. But one of the things that we were learning about in our research is how many of our prisons and are, are privatized. Yes. Um, and that the prison system itself is a business. Yes. And so it really helps some people if more people are going to jail and recidivating and they don't give them the resources when they get out to get better. Exactly where my question was going. We're going to have to take a short break. We are talking with Hannah Dweck, the co-director of Guest House, a documentary film that everyone needs to see truly you know i don't say that often but we need to be aware again i have been a landlord of such houses and if i was surprised at a number of the things that this documentary was revealing to me then i assure you there there are lessons we all need to learn let's put it that way please stay with us we'll be right back with hannah dweck co-director of guest house stay with us Taking care of an Alzheimer's patient is a pretty much a full-time Fifty percent of caregivers die uh, while they are caring for awareness someone. about Alzheimer's and research. Just because someone's mind is being diminished does not mean that uh, the ordinary physical things don't happen. They can uh, have a sore throat and not be able to tell you. They can have something in their eye and not be able to explain it. 
So you have to be aware that in every respect, life is still going on for them physically, even though you are focused on the, uh, the mental dementia, the, the person is still living a life physically and emotionally. For all those who see this video, I hope you will learn more than I ever did before you ever have to know it. That's my message. Support, please, the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 800-272-3900. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and my guest today is the co-director of the documentary film Guest House. All of us need to see Guest House, co-directed by our guest today, Hannah Dweck. Hannah, what inspired you? What 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 made you decide, okay, this is what I want to film as my first film? Yeah, this was actually one of those sort of situations in life that felt kind of like the pieces magically came together. Um, I had just recently finished a documentary short that I had filmed in New York, and I am local to D.C., and I was trying to find the film community here. Um, and I was introduced to Yael through mutual friends. And when I met her, she spoke to me about this, idea that was forming. Uh, she has a very good friend named Melissa Goldman Davidson, who teaches yoga at Friends of Guest House, hmm. and started to talk to Yael about how the class she taught there was becoming one of the highlights of her week, because the women she would meet were so sort of candid and smart and funny, and not at all what you would expect when someone would hear that you're teaching yoga at a reentry house. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I told Yael that I was interested, and she and I went to take Melissa's class at Friends of Guest House. And immediately we were struck by the characters that we were meeting and mm -hmm. these women and how resilient they were um, and how it was so obvious that nothing could really be, like, hidden in that room, you mm -hmm. know, that these were people who were so vulnerable but at the same time maintaining such a good level of humor. Mm. Um, and it was just so appealing to be there. So we spoke to the director of the house, which Yael had already been in contact with her about this idea. Um, and we just sort of began immediately, you know, researching and pulling together our, you know, very small team. Um, and that, you know, that, I have always been interested in sort of issues that revolve around women. Mm -hmm. um, and this was sort of something that I was learning as I was going, mm -hmm. you know, that she told me about this idea and then I started to read more about it. And then we went to this class and it felt like something had sort of magically come together, yes. you know, in, in my life and that also it was local and that it was, you know, it was just sort of surrounding me everywhere that I was going, you know, where I was, where now I live in D.C., you know, and you can walk down the street and sort of see evidence of this crisis. Yes. And so the, the inspiration for the project, you know, just sort of came from meeting Yael and hearing about what she was doing and wanting a partner to do it with and then experiencing this house and seeing 
you know, the necessity to share these stories. Yes. Well, I too live in D.C. quite often, um, back and forth between D.C. and New York, and I know of what you speak, and I, well, again, it's just your documentary is, is most moving. I, some of the little, I say little things, because I, I felt also there was a good deal of subtlety. I mean, when you follow someone 24-7, practically, you get an entire picture, but things like what I what I assume was a journal called Just For Today. Can you talk to us about that? Women had that? Yes, so Just For Today is a book that is used uh, during AA. Uh-huh. So you can, there are certain passages every day that you can read, uh-huh. and it's a jumping off point for discussion. I see. So as you see it being used in the film is, is generally how it's used in practice. And the idea is that just for today, we're going to talk about, you know, this theme or this thing and share how this touches you. Mm-hmm. So that is sort of the point of yes. that of that book. How does, and I know this may seem like a silly question having watched the film, but share with us how sharing family history with each other, because this, I think, would work for people who are not in a guest house. How does sharing family history with each other help the women in this, in your film? So in one scene specifically, they're doing what's called a genogram class. Yes. And a genogram is a map of your history. And when the women start to create their maps and then get to the point where they talk, present them to the group, they start to see links or patterns in their family, but also as they listen to other people talk about their own families and their own patterns, I think it sheds light onto what's happening to them and also feels quite relatable. Yes. You know, that you're seeing how addiction is sometimes passed down or how, you know, a family history has sort of gotten to the point where maybe there are a couple of people who are addicted and I think it is a jumping off point as a way to start sharing. Yes. That doesn't feel as vulnerable all of the time as like some personal story about overdosing or however someone got into drugs, but really also gets to the root of how they got where they are, mm-hmm. which is important to understand to prevent it from happening again. And, you know, I, I remember one of the ladies was discovered while they were sharing the genogram plan she discovered that only the women as far as she could remember had been addicted to drugs not the men and she found that very curious as do i um mm-hmm. was was that uh, did that surprise you did it did people did that make anyone in the room or in the film feel that women were more susceptible? I mean, did did it derail the very thing you're trying to accomplish, and that is to support uh, women who are in this situation? Oh, uh, no, I don't think that there was, you know, much that was gained other than what was sort of shown on screen, Uh which is that she just saw this pattern. But I think, I don't think that women are more susceptible to addiction than men, but I do think that, be, you know, given societal circumstances that now women are being incarcerated mm-hmm. at twice the rate as men for opioid addiction, uh, which is something that I don't think most people would assume. Mm-hmm. 
but I think it also has to do with, you know, I don't know if it's like the temperament of women. I sort of hesitate even as I say this, um, but that it is a nonviolent crime. Yes. And I think it is, you know, if we're going back also to this idea of prison as a business or Mm. institution, Mm -hmm. it is a very easy way to sort of boost the number of women you have in prison for a nonviolent offense. You know, and, and to that end, the number of incarcerated women rose from 26,378 to 225,060 between 1980 and 2017, and that's an increase of 750%. So, what is going on? That's the question. That, that is an excellent question, what is going on? I think that... Because of the rise of prescriptions, or opioid prescriptions specifically, it has overall increased the rise in addiction. And now it is really easy and cheap to create synthetic heroin. So basically heroin with fentanyl, Mm. which is also incredibly addictive and very strong. And also has contributed to the rise of opioid-related deaths. Um, And so between, you know, the 80s to now, there has also been sort of a morphing in the chemistry of the drug, which has made it much more addictive and cheaper to be high per day. Um, And I think that that is a big contributing factor to why now there are so many more women who are addicted. You know, I know that the guest house uh, personnel are helping... Uh, the women in your documentary guest house find career paths. Uh, they even have an individual employment plan that each sort of has to map out their goals, which is terrific. But how do, how after six weeks is it that you're in, in the environment of guest house? You, obviously, you're, you all have a great deal in common and you are forming relationships and you're supporting one another and you're seeing the good, the bad, the ugly on a daily basis, perhaps, how do they let go of those friendships when suddenly the time is up at the guest house and you must go out into the world and uh, and use what you've learned? How do they do that? I think that a lot of the women stay connected ah. um, and use each other as support even after they leave the house. And this, after you leave the house at the six-week mark or so and you move into the apartments, you're still surrounded by many of the same people mm-hmm. who you're going to be with for a couple more months. So I think that, you know, in in the apartment-style living, you know, bonds get stronger. Yes. And, for example, Madison and Grace in the movie really gravitate towards each other and decide that they're going to be in an aftercare facility together. Mm-hmm. So there's an example of them using the bond as a way to keep each other accountable and to maintain their sobriety. Yes. And yet I notice that one of the the characters in the film, because we, uh, what do we talk about when we're among friends? You know what I mean? Having a beer, lighting up a, a cigarette, whatever, between classes. We talk about what we've experienced. And in this one scene, which I found extremely significant in an extremely significant documentary that two friends that uh, one of the ladies in your film has met and now she's out working and 
they're talking and but her conversation is still filled with uh, you know her small talk her chit chat is still about who's just gone to prison where they've gone to prison how much time maybe will they get off serving what did you think because i thought some things never leave you when when does when does the conversation change for them ever i would imagine that you know it, it might start to change as years go by um, and they start to form a life that starts to separate them from the community that they were with before when they were using drugs and going in and out of jail, which is also sort of a fascinating social network as well. But I think, too, part of their recovery process now in this very early stage is learning that that there is sort of, it's almost like a test. You know, when you start to speak about your past candidly, are people going to judge you for it or are they going to hear about it and empathize and, you know, be able to accept that as a part of your past but that it's not going to define your future? Mm. Um, and I remember, you know, when all of the women, whether it's the three in the movie or any of these other women in the house, when they start to work, they worry about, you know, someone finding out about their past if they didn't know and then getting fired or having it become a problem. And I think that in, you know, that scene in the movie is pretty momentous yes. for Madison because she's been able to make friends and have the experience of talking to them about her past and having them be very impressed with what she's been able to accomplish yes. versus deciding, you know, they no longer want to be friends with her. Yeah. So I think that that is, you know, an important scene because it's so representative of the fear of rejoining yes. society. And, you know, another thing on, on that path, too, that touched me was one of the ladies in your film, Guest House, was jogging. And another jogger coming in the opposite direction smiled at her. And she said, yes. like, I wasn't a criminal. Yes, that was Madison as well, who who speaks about that. That was, I remember when she was talking about that, and it, I mean, it broke my heart, but it also made me so excited. Yes. You know, she was starting to experience that people will like her. Yes. That she is, you know, a person worthy of getting to know. Yes. Um, and she should be able to jog outside and not have people think that she's a criminal. That, exactly, exactly. Okay. I guess we should we should say goodbye, but before we do, I'd like please Hannah, Hannah Dweck, this is um, your documentary film Guest House is incredibly moving, uh, challenging, revealing. Uh, tell us how do we help Guest House? How do we find out more about you and your work? Websites, Facebook, whatever, and then I'm going to ask you. Tell us what it is you want us to take from your documentary film, Guest House. But first, how do we, how does one donate to Guest House? How does one follow you, find you and your work? Yes, so uh, you can go on the Friends of Guest House website, which if you Google Friends of Guest House, it's the first thing that pops up. Um, and they are you know, always in need of more funding because there are an endless amount of people and women who need help. Yes. So 
definitely donations are incredibly helpful and beneficial in widening, you know, the amount of treatment they can offer. Um, and in terms of me specifically, um, one of the wonderful things that has come out of this project is that I started um, a production company that is called Dweck Productions, mm. which also you can go to dweckproductions.com and see what we are making in addition to Guest House. Um, and we are starting to beef up our Instagram presence, which is also just Dweck Productions is our, is our name. Excellent. Excellent. And now uh, a question I, I ask most of my guests, and, but with you I want to throw in one possible lens, if you will, uh, the, seeing through the lens of otherness, which was another thing that struck me from your uh, film, uh, otherness. What is it you would like us to take away from your movie, from this interview, uh, from your work in general? Well, from this movie specifically, I I hope and I know Yael and our team hopes that the takeaway is that we are we could be any of these women in this house mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, otherness is such a hurdle that these women are trying to overcome. And when you start to get to know them and you hear their stories, they are incredibly relatable. Yes. And I think that the bias that has built up and creates this idea of otherness between people who have an illness of being addicted to drugs and then those who don't, there there is a fear of crossing the threshold mm. and sort of seeing what's behind the curtain. And I hope that the takeaway is that what is behind the curtain is not that scary. Yes. And that just as anyone, we need to meet people with non-judgment and empathy yes, and start to learn from these experiences and these stories because that's the only way this will get better. Excellent. Okay, it has been a wonderful conversation. I appreciate not only your great film, a documentary, Guest House, but all of your insight and clearly knowledge that is actionable for us. We, we are left with the desire, the inspiration to learn more, but to do more too. And and I think that uh, uh, that comes from your co-direction and uh, we wish you and all the, the team who are involved in Guest House, the documentary, all the very best. I, our guest today has been the first time director, Hannah Dweck, co-directing Guest House, the documentary, which has opened in Hot Springs Film Festival, October 23rd, and the Austin Film Festival, October 26th. Once again, Hannah Dweck, thank you so very much for being on The Reasonable Voices today. Thank you so much and all the very best. Bye now. And now, singer-songwriter Stoll Vaughn, singing Forgiveness. I got ghosts here in my way Yeah, they haunt me They got reasons and they got plans Take me out when they get their chance And I can tell you why they're here But that won't make them disappear I ain't saying I'll forget it 
just talking about forgiveness How it gives you back your It gives you back your singer-songwriter Stoll Vaughn, whose music can be found at www.stollvaughn.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Elijah Cummings, Trump, Pence, Impeachment, and Other Changes Changing Us. Trump's Turkey-Kurdish fiasco, Pence-Pompeo ceasefire facade, and bedbug-ridden self-serving deflated Doral trial balloon, notwithstanding, change we can, seeing is believing, in, is here. Iceland's dynamic melting visuals reproaching what's in a name, disappearing the biggest lies we tell ourselves conservative denial of the disastrous potential to life on earth from America's ice, Alzheimer's, and climate change. With weather increasing focus on the climate of climate change, we've overlooked the equally important piece of the newest, more politically palatable, two-word brand for global warming, change. Although we have often lived in the best of times, since 20 January 2017, America is living in one of the worst of times. Indeed, a tale of two countries, wounded by derisive division that can incite, depending on we the people, either revolution or reconciliation. Change within is our best way out. For every action there is a reaction. Even in the fog hovering over our rising swamp, despite veiled Facebook misinformation, camouflaged religious hypocrisy, and hijacked justice for all women, all LGBTQ, and all people of color, our fourth estate has even joined in our recapturing the courage to see, welcome, and embody America's historical quest for the inevitable progression of change quite possibly, come hell or high water. Actionable change. Deny escape clauses for vendors causing deaths by opiate overdose. An unprotected grid in order to pay for oil wars. Eyes wide shut reaction to business-owned government inviting moral and ethical decay. For no longer can we deny we are either in an age of rediscovering truth or an age of tragic suicide decline. We know who the culprits are who played us against each other. Now we need to heroically recognize and publicly acknowledge the change beckoning us to replace them. We need be students of America's youngest voters and better examples for non-voters, because the greatest change for humankind and life as we know it is upon us, ready or not. 
Women still deny gender and income equality by men desperately clenching the Constitution behind their backs while holding up their hand, declaring to all females this far but no further, now stand tall against past, present, and future sexual harassment and assault, tipping the scale of national recognition toward individual accountability. While we may not be able to completely remedy global climate change, we can cure ourselves of our current administrative disease, so apathetic to anything except its unquenchable gluttony for power to inflict all with the worst we can be. Such lack of empathetic leadership needs to be dethroned, and along with its worshipping cronies, fellow criminals, and pernicious underbelly defying patriotism as anti-female, anti-gay, and anti-diversity, marked discontinued. Following 20 January 2001, we the people, having chosen to be blinded by narrow religiosity, raced headlong from Oro in the Ovo, chasing the ambulance of political mirage right into horrific foreign wars and increased domestic bloodshed, deserting stewardship for the health of Earth, our precious environment, and all life dependent upon either. Resisting the reality of change, we've created a climate era, bequeathing our children both current climate mass migration inland, terrorized by the reality of our very own disappearing shorelines, proving once again denial terminates thinking and vision. Since the first 100 days of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's administration, when compared to the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, with inhumane exceptions, of course, have been the lesser of two evils for voter consideration. So any political frustration of Jimmy Carter, Al Gore, Bernie Sanders, and Hillary Clinton is understandable. But while three have moved on, clearly one has not. Nonetheless, Stronger Together is key to our forward movement after fear of job loss from a dying industry, anger for not being visited by a National Party nominee, and 2016 damage to trust in our electoral process. It wasn't only Putin's Russian hackers. It was GOP gerrymandered state legislatures, compromised computers, and the Electoral College sorely in need of 21st century updates and it was Americans who abstained from the voting privilege of citizenship. What I learned from my mentors, a conservative Texas Democrat and a Virginia progressive activist, about America's bipartisan addiction to corporatism, self-serving, oil-driven, empire-building U.S. foreign policy, and, as a veteran, suggests what Tulsi Gabbard has espoused falls short of how my mentors define a Democrat. Nonetheless, we need to unearth our unity, because every death on earth directly or indirectly caused for American profit disavows who we claim we are. Beware, it is not the strongest species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the ones most responsive to change. Charles Darwin. The point is, not only losing Bill Macy, Robert Forster, Thomas... D'Alessandro III, and Congressional Giant Elijah Cummings. But every core value we bury diminishes America. Whether we like it or not, change reveals, terrifies, and challenges our balance, both individually and nationally. But welcoming it elevates community and common sense to common cause. Thank you, and join us 
become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.